Brewing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and all ships at sea. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension, Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy who does all the typing at FarmerFred.com. All the uh, ranting at um, Twitter.com. And the Farmer Fred Rant blog page. Twitter is mostly snark. The blog just, page is mostly rant. You just open up and words come out. <laughs> That's it. It's <laughs> Debbie Flower is here. Speaking of, of words coming out, uh, uh, instructor, entertainer, uh, <laughs> bon vivant yes. is here. Entertainer, that's a good way to teach. Well, exactly. You know, I was thinking about that, and my since it is Father's Day, I can mention my daughter, who is a college uh, instructor, and, you know, she denigrates the profession i'm in sometimes and i say well wait a minute if you're doing the same thing you're doing a dog and pony show every day you got to keep those kids from walking out of class don't tell me you're not entertaining yep yep i mean you got a skeleton behind you in your anthropology class that's (laughs) entertainment (laughs) but yeah you 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 learn to throw in some i mean it's easy in gardening Mm -hmm. because you can always throw sex in yeah. Because uh, we were talking about Sex that in earlier. The garden. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier as far as getting your squash plants to have a nice date. And um, it, it does take two to tango. We will continue um, discussing the woes of your late spring, early summer vegetable garden and answer your garden questions as well. The numbers to call in for your garden questions 916 576 1578. Or toll-free 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Or you could post it at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where there was always a garden dialogue going on. Also, pictures of the various life stages of the leaf-footed bug. Mm-hmm. When I was out at the uh, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center yesterday during their uh, monthly uh, open garden day, uh, some people brought some bugs in a plastic bag, a sealed Ziploc bag. Good idea when you're transferring bugs around to keep them sealed. And uh, sure enough, they were the immature stage, the nymph stage of the leaf-footed bug, which does not look much like the adult. The, um, In fact, as uh, Steve Zion pointed out uh, in a response on the Facebook page, people sometimes mistake the assassin bug uh, for oh. the leaf-footed bug. And so it's important to note the differences between the assassin bug, which is a good guy, and the leaf-footed bug, which is a bad guy. The leaf-footed bug, even in, in its nymphal stages, will have this slight expansion on its rear leg. Mm-hmm. A, and when it's an adult, it looks like a paddle. It looks almost like a duck foot mm-hmm. that it has on its rear feet. And in the nymphal stage, they're very small, and you have to look very carefully to look for that sort of expansion area on the rear legs to tell the difference between the uh, leaf-footed bug and the uh, assassin bug. There are other differences, too, as far as head and coloration goes, but they're pretty darn close to the casual eye. What is, By the way, Debbie Flower, instructor, who has yes. dealt with pests all these years, um, riddle me this. I am trying to identify a bug in my garden. Uh-huh. It's a case when I'm... Watering plants in containers on the front porch in the late afternoon only. All of a sudden, there will be a cloud of of insects. And at first I thought, oh, my goodness, it's white flies. But 
one landed on my white shirt and I could see, no, no, that's not a white fly. It mm-hmm. almost looks like a leaf hopper, but it won't stay still long enough for me to make a positive identification. How do I catch these guys? Well, have you tried sticky tap traps at all? Well, I was going to. Yeah, I, I would can't try. find them. <laughs> you can make your own. Okay. You can buy solo brand. Uh, a yellow cup? Yellow cup or, or yeah. plate and put Vaseline on it or uh, uh, t- Tanglefoot, if you have some Tanglefoot, and then put it out there. We used to make those. I'd send them home with the students. And then you see IPM has, I have one from many years ago, a publication that shows insects on the the Tanglefoot mm-hmm. stuck to the yellow sticky trap and, and how to identify them. Oh, okay. So there are things like uh, vein patterns in the wings, uh, whether the wings are clear or not, you know, shapes of the body. Of course, they smash or they're sideways or they're, they're not perfectly clear. Um, when they land on that Tanglefoot, they get kind of messed up. Mm-hmm. But there's still a publication to show you how to identify them in that state. It's nice, though, by using the yellow sticky traps, because there's a grid on the stick, sticky crap, uh, sticky trap, <laughs> the sticky crap, the sticky traps. Uh, it's a one-inch yes. grid. Show you size. To give you an idea of the size, It's a, especially if you're going to mail off a picture to somebody and say, what is this? Right. You need some sort of frame of reference. The usual frame of reference is put a coin next to it to right. figure out Scale. what size it is. And But if you use a yellow sticky trap, you've already got that one-inch grid right. uh, in, in many squares on that yellow sticky trap that it's pretty easy to determine the size of the insect. But I would assume you've got fungus gnat or, fungus I can't gnats. think of the other one. Uh, the other one is more attracted to seaweed-type fertilizers, and I think you use that. Oh, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> in, in fact, I've been asked <clears throat> by the neighbors uh, to quit using fish emulsion. <laughs> because of the smell. <laughs> yes, yeah, the fertilizer in the front. I go, what's, what's the problem? I've been using it for years. Oh, wait a minute. I used to live in the country yes. where I could enjoy it on my own. I've done it in the bedroom plants. and <laughs> Got some feedback? Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is not nice. Um and I believe in it's definitely for fungus gnat, and maybe the other one will come to me. Um, putting sand, a, a layer of sand, maybe quarter to a half inch thick on the top of the the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could let the plants dry down completely, the soil dry down completely, but that's going to affect your plants. So you really don't want to have that happen. Yes. You need to do it twice in a row, um, and that. So they have stages. They're complete metamorphosis. They have egg larva and adult. And the eggs are very susceptible to drying out. Um, and so that's where the drying out works. Uh, they mate on the wing. So, and then they have wow. to come back to the soil and that's lay the eggs. Talent. Yes. <laughs> uh, so when they, come, if they, when they come back, there's sand there. It's too gritty. It's too, so they'll go elsewhere and lay their eggs. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it also uh, harms the uh, adult as it emerges to go have to come through that sand so a layer of sand on top may stop your problem the thing is i don't think it's a problem i don't see any damage on the leaves i see no discoloration i see no trails there's right. no chew marks there's no sign right. of rasping sucking or, or sucking insects right they're eating the dead organic matter in the container if that were to run out which is not likely in a container mm-hmm. they'll start working on the plant roots but um you're right they're 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 just a coincidental problem. Yeah, that's what I'm not too worried about. I mean, the biggest problem I have is when I am watering Water it by them, hand. That's when they come up. They come up and right. then, you know, right. land in my nose. 
not right. pleasant. So basically, uh, my first instinct is to, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. And my second instinct is, but no, this is science. I want to put a yellow sticky trap there, catch a bunch of them, take a really good picture, and send it to Baldo. Well, if you look up uh, Google fungus gnat, you'll get pictures. And, and the big ID characteristic for them is that they have these clear wings and the way that the branching, they have dark veins in the clear wings. Uh, body shape, et cetera, works too, but the veins in the um, wings are what I found to be most uh, uh, the best identification characteristic. But to see that in real life, not just on uh, Google, on the computer, you need a some sort of magnification. Right, right. And that's yeah. why the beauty of using a, a good camera or a good cell phone camera where you can zoom in. Right. And as long as you can keep it in focus um you know get that picture right it's easier to study a picture than it is trying to follow an insect around Mm -hmm. that's very difficult i tell you what we'll take a break when we come back john from turlock has a question we'll get to his question and anything else you want to phone in at 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255 debbie flower is here garden grappler coming up in a few minutes it'll be a father's day garden grappler Hmm. hmm, we'll do that, well, hmm. at 11 o'clock. But uh, more of Get Growing on the Way here on Talk 650 KSTE. Temperatures are rising. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With Debbie Flower, horticultural consultant, we're answering mm-hmm. your gardening questions at 916-576-1578-866-331-8255. Quick question uh, from a listener, reader, somewhere, yes. who said, is it too late to plant zucchini? No. No, it's only 1020. <laughs> yeah. it's... No, your soil's warm. They really like warm uh, temperatures for germinating, so it should germinate really quickly, and it'll catch up to those. Uh, mm-hmm. plants that were you know done a month ago pretty quickly and we have such a long growing season and you get so many zucchini from one plant do you need two plants no okay so one plant because each plant will produce male and female flowers right so you'll you won't get fruit for a while because you'll go through the phase of male flowers right okay and if you want to you could go to the nursery and buy transplants of squash the trick with any transplants of squash or cucumber or melons or pumpkin is that you don't want them to have uh, more than four leaves if they're in like a four-inch container. Um, they quickly get root-bound. They're pretty vigorous growers. They get big, yeah. the leaves get big, uh, and, and they'll never outgrow that. The plant will grow bigger, but you'll never get fruit. It'll just be a lackadaisical do-nothing plant. So buy, typically when you buy those plants uh, in a container, you want them to just have one or two leaves. Pick the smallest ones. Yeah, which is against our natural intuition. I've heard, too, that with squash plants and other cucurbit family members, kirkabit family members, kirkurbit, if you buy transplants, do not disturb the roots. I wasn't aware of that for them. All right. I think that may be a myth, but I'm not sure. But it's a very persistent myth about not disturbing the root structure because uh, we get into a habit of, you know, scratching at the root ball to loosen right. up the roots so that they'll go out uh, in various directions in the soil as opposed to just going round and round the root ball. Right. So well, I'm not aware of that for those okay. plants. Uh, it, prob- it may be true, um, but it's, you know, it, obviously people have had trouble 
transplanting those plants from a container into the soil. And frankly, I think it's you get a better plant and it's really easy to start them from seed. Yeah, it is. Just control your slugs and snails. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's uh, that's the issue. They love them squash plants. They will eat them entirely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's Call go to the family over and the nieces and nephews. Yeah. Yeah. John and Turlock, how the heck are you? I'm doing fine, Fred. Good. Hey, I, I had a, a question for, for you guys. Uh, uh, I, I, I do a lot of cuttings, you know, for propagating plants mm-hmm. and, and most of the time I, I do hardwood cuttings in the winter time it's just a lot simpler for me to do that right but this time of the year i want to do some and usually you know most most uh, most of the plants you're going to be leaving on a few leaves and everything mm-hmm. and the, the most uh, of the time they say you, you really got to you know spray them and keep the leaves moist or put it under a humidity dome and everything like that. But I was wondering if uh, uh, if I could use my capillary mats uh, for, for doing my cuttings, because I use those for my, uh, you know, when I plant seeds for vegetables mm-hmm. and things like that, and it works great. You know, I just, you know, you just put some water in the tray, and, mm-hmm. you know, in three or four or five days uh, it lasts, and you got to refill it and whatever. But I'm just wondering if that would work good for, for what would be uh, softwood cuttings and things where you're leaving the leaves on. It would keep your media moist, uh, so in, which is great. Uh, but I would then dome it, um, put some sort of, I, I buy the, the flats with the big domes on them. Um, right, right. And just, uh, they have, uh, re- you can regulate the, they ha- the ones I have have openings on each end and one right. on the top. And you can have them com- halfway open or completely closed or anything in between. And so I use those to regulate the humidity inside. And I just fill, the flats have... Uh, ridges they're they're uh, like gutters and a ridge and gutters and a ridge and that's what the plant sits on and i just fill it every other day with uh water in in a little bit in the bottom so i think that dome would create the water in the bottom would be you'd use with your your capillary mat and then the the dome would create the humidity for those who don't know debbie explain what a capillary mat is Capillary mat relies on uh what's called capillary action which is movement of water in all directions uh as it as it travels on a surface and so uh in greenhouses they they've had them it's an old concept for conserving water in greenhouses it's not uh used a lot commercially but uh you can make your own uh it's so you have something that absorbs water it can be string it can be cloth can be special fabrics uh and they that is in the bottom of the pot or touching the bottom of the pot and then the water is absorbed by that absorbent fabric and up into the pot uh, through the, the movement of water by capillary action. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is rock wool one of those? No. Rock, okay. Rock wool is you used. Typically use cotton or, okay. or uh, raffia or something natural, a natural fiber. Yeah. But there are some, I can remember going to greenhouses and seeing capillary mats with markings on them for, where, for pot placement because that's another issue in greenhouses. Uh, do you put plant things pot to pot, or do you separate them because uh, uh, they're going to get big and yeah. hang over the side? And? <laughs> uh, depends on the cost of your labor. Oh, okay. If All you right. plant them pot to pot, then you're going to have to come in later and move them separately. And, and they would actually have X's and O's on, the, on these mats. 
obviously it made an impression on me because it was in the 70s that I saw these um, uh, and then moved them to, to the other marking, whatever that is, to separate the plants. Okay, well, and I hope, uh, John, that helps you out there. Oh, yeah, no, perfectly. I just, uh, like I say, I, I just thought since I'm going to do it, I'll, uh, and I'll, I think I'll, I'll try both. I'll just see, you know, because I've, I've done the thing where you, you put the water in the, in the bottom of the tray and then put the humidity dome over, and I'm just, just wondering, you know, if the capillary matting would be any better or worse or whatever. But what are you using for your capillary matting? Well, I have some that I had bought, and uh-huh. then I also make some uh, that I'm using felt. Okay. And uh, felt, you know, seems to work real good, too. I mean, and it's cheap. You know, as I say, I use styrofoam and then uh, put some, uh, uh, well, it's not styrofoam. It's like insulation uh, foam and in a tray and cut it to size and do the same thing with the felt. And, uh, you know, so I've got both, and I just, you know, experiment to see if I can. Because it's, it's really tough to find capillary matting in, you know, small quantities at mm-hmm. a reasonable price. So, so but I, I do have some old old uh, uh, things like that. And, it, you know, it work, and like I say, it works fine for my, for my vegetable seeds and things like that. And it just, uh, it's... Uh, you know, so you're putting the container directly on top of the... Uh, uh, the felt uh right but the but the yeah so the felt is r- right on on uh you know on the top of the uh the the foam okay and of course the foam's in the tray and you know you put in in, in the uh the felt is is is, is you know over the edges of, uh, on the uh, uh on each end wicks up the water and then brings it in there so your your plants are never in direct contact with the water it's it's all through the you know, but you have to lift up the felt. You have to put something underneath it uh, that works. And the foam insulation type stuff that you can get, uh, you know, at Home Depot or whatever, mm-hmm. relatively cheap. You know, and mm-hmm. you just have to cut right. the size, and it's real easy to do and whatever. So it's just like I say, I, I, I'm all for you know doing things simply if they have it at a reasonable price. But buying you know capillary matting and and all the stuff with it is not cheap. You know, right. if you're going to do if you're going to do a, you know, a fair amount of it. so But whatever, it, it, it works fine. Great. So basically, John, you're the only guy inside Michael's in Turlock <laughs> buying, <laughs> buying felt. Buying felt. Yes. Yeah, well, actually, I buy mine at Walmart because it's okay. cheaper. But <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to look. Yeah. In, you're in the no. fabric no, aisle. I've been to Michael's. There are yeah. men in Michael's. No, they're too, yeah. because they have to. <laughs> you think so, huh? <laughs> yes. yes. All right. John, thanks for the All call. Right. Thank you, Mike. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Let's uh, talk with Zella down in Lincoln. Hi, Zella. Hi. How are you? We're doing fine. What's up? Happy Father's Day. Well, thank you. Maybe someday I'll hear from my daughter. Let's see if she's called yet. Nope. (laughs) Not yet. Fine. (laughs) Whatever. We purchased a six-foot-long, two-foot oval um, water trough. Okay. okay. All right. Galvanized metal and a 48-inch round one. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to know what size holes and how many. Um, I like to put in three-quarter to one-inch holes, diameter holes, and probably four to six holes in the bottom. And uh, I have... The round one, and how about the oblong one? Well, that was the oblong one that I was talking about. And, oh, okay. And, and, uh, what is the diameter of the round one? 48 inches. 48 inches. I'd do four to five Okay. Holes. And I have four-foot ones, uh, and I didn't drill anything into them. I just use the, uh, you know, they have a single hole on the side. Yeah. That's all I use. Yeah? Yeah. Aren't you brave? Well, I have bamboo in it. 
Well, then, yeah, you're really brave. <laughs> well, I didn't want the bamboo in well, the yard. It's I a understand. runner. Yeah, okay, exactly. But you want to go out want to clog the only drain hole that's there? Uh, I haven't seen that. Water comes out the drain hole. It's on right. a drip line. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Um, I debated that, and I thought structurally I didn't want it, and I didn't want the water underneath the container. But, Zella, you're not growing bamboo, are you? No. Okay, all right, good. All right. For I would say for most about everything, unless you're cultivating Bermuda grass, go ahead and put the uh, holes in. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. All right, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you wanted running bamboo. Why? I wanted, I have my bedroom windows face full west, and they're onto a patio, mm-hmm. and I wanted some shade. Okay, that's and quick so, shade. Yeah, so I grow the bamboo in the containers in front of the windows. And the container is resting on concrete? Yes. Okay, all right. Yes, <laughs> yes I envisioned it someday growing out the hole. <laughs> yeah. Taking off. No, it's far from uh, soil. How often do you have to water that? Uh, it waters twice a week, I think. Okay. And it's been in there... Several years, and I put uh, back guano, high nitrogen back guano in with the container media. That that's the other thing, you really need to use container media, not field soil. I've seen one with field soil in it, and the plants are not doing well at all. Um, and the, uh, this year we needed to fertilize uh, to get good growth out of the. What, the bamboo. What, well, I would think that would be mostly nitrogen. Yeah, a lawn fertilizer because okay. it's right. bamboo. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you, are you using strictly a lawn fertilizer? Yes. An organic lawn fertilizer? I am um, whatever we had around. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Jerry, Jerry's, my husband is the lawn guy. So I let him do his thing. I give him advice, but I let him do his thing. I don't think it is organic. Okay. It, it, it's just that. Organic lawn food, which is also like 21-2-2 or mostly nitrogen, it's slow-release nitrogen as opposed to a quick-release nitrogen. Right, and I have some Osmocote, which is a a Mm slow-release fertilizer. Um, I believe he put some of that on, but he also put on some, we have just some, I don't think it's ammonium sulfate, but it might as well be, like a (laughs) 21-0-0. Yeah. It's bamboo. Who cares? Right. <laughs> right. And we got growth. Yeah, and it I, responded right away. <laughs> I bet. Albert is rubbing his hands in eager anticipation of doing a commercial break. So I guess we will. righty. And we'll come back with more. We'll, we're going to get to pruning tomato plants, too. Oh, that's right. All right. We'll do that when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Guys. Welcome back to the program. Debbie Flower is with us this week. Uh, you people know your tough garden questions and who to call when uh, when Debbie's on, so good for you, because I'd be lost. I'd be <laughs> yeah, lost. I don't believe that, but okay, <laughs> thanks for the compliment. All right. Uh, where do we go from here? Oh, Steve Zion uh, wrote in, because I guess he's not doing our water, our world appearances today. Uh, he uh, says that for fungus gnats, if that is the problem, when, in reference to... My container plants on the front porch that when I water, the bugs come up. The other insect I couldn't remember is called shorefly. Shorefly. Would BTI that Steve recommended for fungus gnats work on shoreflies? I don't know that. I don't know that either. 
um, but uh, he says uh, using BTI sold as mosquito bits sprinkled on the soil and then watered in could help control them. And then on Saturday, June 23rd, Sacramento's organic advocate, Steve Zion, will be at the Our Water, Our World educational booth in the nursery department at Amy Hardware. They're at 3555 El Camino Avenue near Watt, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and uh, he can uh, help you do things in a less toxic way to uh, have a, as he puts it here, grow beautiful and productive gardens and landscapes. And uh, he's going to be on the show July 1st, I do believe. But uh, he'll be at Amy Hardware next week, where, if he's a true friend, he will steal me an outdoor patio set for my backyard. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yes. <laughs> Probably not. All right. Amy in Sacramento, welcome to Get Growing. Hi. Hi. Uh, I was looking at my, just looking at my um, succulents, mm-hmm. and they're infested with, I think it's cottony cushiony scale, they're little white sticky stuff. I would guess it's probably mealybugs. Mealybugs. Cottony cushion scale looks like um, soft serve ice cream. Does that oh, make sense? That's, that's interesting. It looks like cotton. It yeah. Those little white things. That's probably mealybugs, which are very, very, very common. Oh, mealybugs. Common in succulents? They're very common in succulents. Yeah. They're very common in a lot of things. I have them on my Diffenbachia in my bedroom. Um, what I do, if a plant's heavily infested, I trash it because oh. they, they can get into the soil and they're very difficult to get rid of. There is one, I don't know if homeowners can buy it though, uh, uh, something called Bavaria bassiana, um, B-E-A-U-V-A-R-I-A, and then the second word is bassiana, B-A-S-S-I-A-N-A, um, uh, sold as botanigard. Um, and that is, works very well on, on, uh, it's not cheap though, works very well on mealybugs. Uh, I've cleaned out greenhouses with, by using Bavaria bassiana and getting rid of the heavily infested plants and then cleaning, sanitation. Uh, they hide in the places where the leaves meet the stem or if there's a, an extra piece of leaf tissue that curls up or is over the stem or something, they love to get in places like that. Uh, for, for the easiest, I want to work on it today. I don't want to wait for the, have to order a pesticide or anything. It's rubbing alcohol, uh, put it on a Q-tip and then touch everyone that you see. Um, they'll turn orange and they'll come off and you'll be at it for a long time. (laughs) Especially if you look in the, all these nooks and crannies that they may be. And I would knock it out of the pot and check the media. Some mealybugs can, uh, live in the media. And and that's that would mean changing the media out. If it's in the media, I, I would throw the plant away for sure. Oh my god! Especially if there's ants. I got there. a lot of right. them. Right. A lot of succulents. Right. It's a it, it's a problem you have to watch for. You have to observe. Training students to to find it was more difficult than I realized. They just didn't look. As closely, they didn't pay attention to detail. Finding these little white spots, and you have to go back day after day after day after day and check it and 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 uh, separate the those plants from other plants um, because they have a they do have a they can move from one plant to another. And don't they have like a waxy body, so insecticides don't really penetrate their body? Right. Yeah. So what about something like uh, oils or uh, insecticidal soap? 
Uh, if they're labeled for it, you can yeah. try it. Um, I have never, I, I don't think I've ever used them, either of those products to control mealybugs. What, what causes it? Mealybugs? They yeah, just exist in the environment. Yeah. I've seen them on landscape plants. Uh, typically, they're attracted to plants that are stressed. Sorry. Uh, container plants often are stressed. So is it too much moisture, too? I was wondering. Could be too much moisture, not enough moisture, too much sun, not enough sun. It could have been oh, in the container gosh. too long. Uh, anything that stresses the plant. Um, plants communicate chemically, and when they're stressed, they give off a chemical uh, uh, signal, that, and insects receive that signal, and then they prefer to attack those plants. How does it get there? On the wind. Oh. Then how did you get it in your house? I opened the yeah. window. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Yeah, and you can bring them in. You know, you can buy plants that have them uh-huh. um, and bring them in on those plants. Yeah, they could be in eggs, too. Right. That you wouldn't even see. Right. And, oh and, you know, in a, in a production situation, they yeah. can exist. So I try to, when I have them, I try to find an uninfested part portion of the plant, cut that off, propagate from that. And trash mm. the rest of it. Ooh, see, there we go. We just saved your succulent collection, there, Amy. If if you if you just pour 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 um, uh, the alcohol in the soil, would that kill it, or would it kill? No, it? but if you drank the alcohol, you'd forget you had a problem. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Uh-huh. I have not done that. I don't. I haven't seen any research about that. I don't know the answer to that. It seems to make sense, but I would worry if the alcohol had some other effect on the on the plant as well. Yeah. I have poured straight alcohol on a plant when I was totally frustrated and I lost the plant. But why did I lose it? I don't know for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. If it was the alcohol or if it was the mealybugs or I also moved the plant from indoors to outdoors. Um, there are natural predators and that's one technique is to put the plants outdoors and hope the natural predators find it. Okay. while I'm also treating to try to reduce the population. And I guess if you want to use something safe that wouldn't harm the beneficials, UCANR talks about, uh, for mealybug control on ornamentals, uh, insecticidal soap, narrow-range oils, or a forceful stream of water can be applied to reduce exposed populations with minimal harm to natural enemies that may migrate in later. Right. So That's another thing, I went and wa- uh, washed it. Is that enough? I don't. I, I, I was going to say that I'm surprised they suggest an, a stream of water because they are waxy and water just sort of runs off of them. Uh, the insecticidal soap would be more uh, more beneficial because it the, or, or the oils because they in different ways affect the coating uh, uh, on the plant but on the insect. Be very careful what the temperature is when you're yes. applying those oils, especially because you could burn your plant if the temperature is too high. Right. So I, I like your idea, Debbie, of just taking cuttings of all the succulents, starting them in new media, and trashing the rest. Yes. Now, when you take cuttings, I don't want them in my plant population. Yeah. You know, I don't want, because they can spread. Right. Yeah. When you're taking cuttings of succulents, do you have to let that cut portion dry out for a period of time before you plunk it? It's in, ideal if you do that, yes, okay. because they're full of water, and if you stick it in media, they will become, they'll just rot. Oh, well, that explains why this pot of cut, Aloe, I tried, is died, has died. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. 
Fine. You want it to callus over, and then you don't use any hormone or anything. The, the callus has closed the wound, yeah. and the hormone only works if it gets into the vascular system of the plant. So uh, you, 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 don't, you just let them dry in a shady place for 24 hours minimum, um, and then stick them. Okay, stick them in like cactus mix? Cactus or? mix, right. Okay, all right. Could you use a starting mix, a seed starting mix? Seed starting mix is too fine. If I had that around, I would buy some uh, probably pumice or sand or both yeah. and, and mix it together okay. to make a... Okay, second mistake I made. All right. Okay. <laughs> you want a well-drained, well high, highly oxygenated uh, mix. All right, okay. So, Amy, there you go. Some hope and then not hope. Yeah. Big okay. job ahead of you. Go yep. to the nursery. Look at the new ones. Oh, I was at the nursery yesterday. They are some beautiful succulents out there. Yeah. Oh, good luck, Amy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, we ruined her day. Yeah, well, you, you know, uh, Robin Stockwell spoke yesterday at High Hand Nursery. Oh. Robin Stockwell, noted grower of succulents. Yeah. He used to own a succulent nursery over in the Bay Area, and he was in uh, Loomis uh, yesterday uh, promoting his book about succulents. And, of course, uh, High Hand. Uh, does have a great selection of succulents, and I know they brought in more for his appearance there, so there might be some leftovers there. Great selection there, there yeah. yeah. There you go, Scott. Free plug. And I was at a, a Green Acres yesterday, so they so, had a bunch of yeah, succulents. Yeah, no, the Green Acres has a fine selection. And when you go to buy, examine them. Look for those white spots. If they've got white spots, don't buy them. Big Oak Nursery in Elk Grove has succulents as well. All right. I'm covering every sponsor here. <laughs> All right. All right. El Dorado. Uh, sometimes, yeah. 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 I bet Julia and Chris have some succulents up there at El Dorado Nursery. Yeah, Shingle worth Springs. a look, worth yeah. a call anyway. All right. Oh, now we're expanding from sponsors to everybody you know. <laughs> <laughs> Gets a free plug. All right. Uh, uh, does Don Shore have succulents there at Redwood Barn? It's been a long time since I've been there. I don't think he has. He might have a few okay. little ones, I think. All right. Okay, I think that covers everybody. <laughs> Probably not. I'll hear about it. Yeah. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Answering your emails and your phone questions here on Get Growing. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Phones, yes, we have two of them. (laughs) 916-576-1578 and 866-331-8255 for your questions. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. Debbie Flower is here, horticultural consultant. Professor for many of you at area colleges as well in horticultural fields. And um, she doesn't even know what the Garden Grappler is, and yet she's going to judge it. So there you go. That's how much confidence I have in oh, thank you to do it. Put me right on the spot. So we got an email picture from Mike. He says, I have problems with my blueberries. Uh, what's going on? Some of the leaves look burnt. They started looking like this after I harvested the berries. Also, I understand that berries are deciduous, but ours didn't go dormant last winter. They are in containers, if that matters at all. Thanks, Mike in Oroville. Uh, actually, Mike, there are evergreen and deciduous yes. varieties of blueberries. So actually, the, the evergreen ones are kind of pretty because they do get that red tinge in the fall. So yes. enjoy it. Yes. Yes. It, They're basically. very pretty plants. Now, the when I first looked at the leaves of this uh, picture of the blueberries, the, the browning of the leaves was generally at the tip 
or along the side. And usually when you get that sort of marginal leaf burn that extends inward quite a ways, I always think of that as a soggy soil, as overwatering. And in a container, that's a possibility. But with blueberries, there are other possibilities. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of the opposite. Not enough water. Change in the sun's angle due to the time of the year. Mm-hmm. We're almost at the equinox, or the solstice, rather. Um, and um, the other is the container. Is the container uh, black and exposed to the sun? If that's the case, it could have heated up the root system. Mm, okay. That's why I painted mine red. I wrap mine in aluminum foil. <laughs> oh, my God, because you're trying to contact the I've, UFOs. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, you got to have a hobby. All right. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, by the way, uh, for those who do celebrate things like the summer solstice, it is this coming Thursday at 3.07 a.m. Oh, wow. So get your party hat on. Yeah. Early for uh, the longest day of the year. As if right now, sunrise is at 5.41, sunset at 8.32. It's only going to get longer uh, on the sunset end by a couple of minutes Yeah, between now and Thursday. And then it turns around. And then winter hits. <laughs> That's it. It's no, done. then we get the really hot weather. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, getting back to the blueberries here. Uh, so overwatering, underwatering, sunburn, and then we both uh, stumbled upon the other possibility, nitrate fertilizers, mm-hmm. which blueberries do not like. Mm-hmm. Nitrate fertilizers being like, oh, you know, lawn food. Yeah, if you will. A lot of fertilizers have nitrate in Yeah, synthetic. Now, what would be the active ingredient or the type of fertilizer in a fertilizer that would indicate it is a nitrate fertilizer? What would it say? Would it say uh, nitrate Nitrate. of ammonia? Yes. Nitrate of sulfur? Anything that says nitrate. There's a, all fertilizer bags by law have to have an active ingredients list. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's usually in small print. It's usually on the back. And it'll tell you the percent of water-soluble and water-insoluble nitrogen. It'll say, it might say ammoniacal nitrogen, Mm -hmm. which is a good kind for blueberries. Or it might say, uh, but ammoni, it might say nitrate nitrogen. Yeah. And you don't want nitrate. I think the easy answer for fertilizing blueberries is stick with organic fertilizers. Yes. Because they're derived from non-nitrate forms. Yeah, and now I'm going through the nitrogen cycle in my head. <laughs> what a weird life you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't. We won't go there. I I, I go through rinse cycles. <laughs> <laughs> Clean it out and start again. Yes. <laughs> so what we really need, and this is true in in diagnosing pest problems, plant pest pro, plant problems, is a history. Um, when I looked at the picture, I thought it came on at a certain point in time. Uh, a certain time, and then that there was new growth after that. But then further down in the plant, the tips were completely dead. So what is the fertilization? What is the exposure? What kind of container is it in? Um, is Has it been fertilized? How long has it been in that container? There's lots of questions to ask. As always. Yes. That's and how plant pet problems are diagnosed. Yes, exactly. And it's always that always that last-minute afterthought people throw in that is usually the answer is, right. oh, yeah, by the way, I live in Utah. Or, oh, by, <laughs> or, by the way, we had hail last week. Yeah. Oh. oh. Yeah. So there's all that. All right. So anyway, um, the guy that says all gardening is local, he's so right. That's uh, right. Uh, he is very right. Okay. Let's go back to the phones. Gary and Harold, how are you? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Where's Harold? 
Yeah, right down the street from where we used to live. Yeah, okay, all right, fine. <laughs> hey, anyway, i got a quick question for you. Uh, how do you get rid of moles in the garden? This is like the first year I've ever had a problem with them, and they are like all over the place. You don't have moles, you have gophers. Oh, gopher, well, okay, I can't see them, I just see the holes. Yes, and the telltale sign is the shape of the mound they leave. Is it perfectly round, or is it kind of crescent-shaped? Uh, it's well, actually, there's two different kinds. There's a crescent shape, and there's a perfectly round one also. Oh, so it, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause so you, I used to have cats, and I never had a problem with it, but the cats are, are no longer with us. So, uh, yeah, it seems to be a problem now. Um, no, Gary, you yeah. live in Harold. Cats will come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, my neighbor feeds, feeds cats wet food, so they go over there instead Ooh, of over there where they get dry uh, food. So. Spoiled cats, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the cats will find it. Some dogs are good at gopher hunting, too. They just yeah. have a lot of patience. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think if I had a Jack Russell, I'd probably have better luck. But I got, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of labs, so they're, uh, nah, you know. One of, they, one of the devices recommended by University of California that they've had good luck with in their studies of trapping gophers is a device called the Gophinator. Gophinator, yeah, okay. which is sort of an improved Maccabee-style trap that the gopher cannot drag off. That was part of the problem with uh, the old-style traps. If you didn't secure the traps in, in the uh, burrow securely enough, they could just you know get trapped, but they they could still move it with them. So the gopher okay. the gophernator trap uh, sort of gets by that problem. Okay, they may, know, we're, we're pretty sad, like at any of your local stores, like Lowe's, Home Depot, something like that. Or uh, I'd go to Tractor Supply. Tractor supply, okay. Uh, that's close. That's, that's close Yeah, uh, that's closest to you. <laughs> yeah, yes it is. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so you like your new digs over in Folsom? You miss Harold at all? Yes, I do. I, yeah, mi- no, I, yeah. I miss the vistas. As odd as that sounds, I miss the vistas. <laughs> I miss the stars at night. Mm, I bet. Um, I, I miss the silence at night. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's what brought us out here. So, yeah, like, uh, yeah but... Uh, well, it sounds like you're, well, you know, what I've heard on the show, sounds like you're happy over in Folsom, so that's good, too. Yeah, that's because I drink a lot more now. No. <laughs> I, it's, it's, well, you got your conveniences there. That helps. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the liquor store's nearby. Yeah, you're close. Uh, no, the, the biking in Folsom is great. I, I love it. I mean, that's the reason I chose Folsom is because of all the bike trails. And so, oh, yeah, much safer than out here, for sure, oh, on the bike trails. No, the, the, <laughs> there's no there's, they don't exist here. No, the, the, <laughs> no, but I, I did get my exercise riding my bike there because there are probably 40 loose dogs per mile on Arno <laughs> Road. And so I, I learned how to sprint quite quickly. So anyway, that was good in that regard, too. But, Gary, thanks for calling in, and good luck with the Gophers. Oh, thanks for the info. I appreciate it. You guys have a good day. All right, you, you too. too. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right, Bye. we'll take a short break. When we come back, it's going to be Garden Grappler time, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. There is a clue available at FarmerFred.com. I don't know if I posted a clue at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page or not, but um, I think you'd be able to figure it out, actually. And uh, it'll be Father's Day related, so I think you'll be able to come up with an answer. So we'll do that after the news, and we'll have more with Debbie Flower as well. We're going to get into pruning tomatoes, I promise. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. Hey now, Big Al... Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. 
Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. First five callers with a correct answer get a prize. Special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. All right, Albert, are you ready in there? He's ready. All right. Today's question, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, little animals gathered there by the light of the electric radio, it's Father's Day. So name a plant that describes your father. Name a plant that describes your father. I When I th- was thinking about that, Debbie Flower, who's here mm-hmm. to judge things, I was thinking, of, of, for an example, I would use, for my dad, an oak tree because he was always there. Okay. Oak trees just are stable. So we're going to need a reason then. When well, they yeah, tell exactly. Us. I want to hear a story about yeah. why your father is, is okay. the plant that you described him with. Okay. That, that's, this should be fun. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. So name a plant that describes your father. So I guess, Debbie, your job is going to be determined if it's a plant or not. <laughs> now, it, okay. it, now, it can be a varietal name for a plant. That's fine. So, yes. You know, because, you know, roses and tomatoes have all sorts of names. Right. So uh, name a plant that describes your father, even though I don't want to give away any more answers. So that's too easy. Numbers to call 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Name a plant that describes your father. All right. So while you're ruminating on that one, today's Garden Grappler, let's uh, let's clear off the phone lines and talk with Roberta, who's been on hold since Gray Davis was governor. Hi, Roberta. <laughs> oh, no, I thought it was Duke Majin. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right. Oh, longer than... Oh, yes. wow. All right. That's yes, okay. Um, uh, I won the Garden Grappler last week, so I won't answer, even though I have several. Okay, well, thank others, you. Yes, don't, don't we all? Yes. Um, so, uh, I got the handout about fleas, not that I have that problem, and you talked about diatomaceous earth, and my garden now is containerized because I'm disabled and I can't walk down to that big garden and do all the work. So, I'm wondering if diatomaceous earth in a container garden would be, uh, uh, good to take out any little buggies I might get. The only thing, and we were talking about this earlier, Debbie, the only thing I could think of uh, in this regard would be fungus gnats. Right, and I, it might be used for uh, slugs and snails. I guess so, yeah. Mm-hmm. The problem yeah, is once snails, it gets yeah. wet, in yeah. both cases, it is not helpful. Which also yeah, is in the fine print on Sluggo. Oh, is it? Yeah. Once it gets if wet? you use sluggo for or any sort of iron phosphate uh, uh, molluscicide to control slugs and snails, they advise you on the back that if you get it wet, you have to reapply it. Oh, yeah. 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 So that it would be the same. Yeah. You'd have to reapply. No, my my biggest problem is deer. They're coming up on my uh, concrete pad below. I live upstairs, and they're eating my cherry fruit bush. Mm-hmm. And they're chewing on my tomatoes, but I've uh, I've thought of a um, um, a fencing situation similar to the ones at the uh, Berlick's, um Garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to get 
some of the, I'm going to, you know, pound in some rebar, put up a framework of PVC, and I'm going to use some of that construction, not that I like the color, orange, uh, netting. Mm-hmm. And create a barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make movable um, gates out of the PVC pipe that I can move and go in there and do my work and water. And, and I don't have an outside dog anymore. So that's why I'm having a deer right. problem. So right. would, would netting stop deer? Um, if it's far I, enough away. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Okay. That typically, net fencing works around vineyards. Yeah. Um, deer can jump high and they can jump far, but they can't jump high and far. Right. And so if you just create a, a take an eight-foot fence and put it on a 45-degree angle, Mm-hmm. And it's netting, and they can't get over that. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be eight feet if it's on an angle like that. I, I, I think the University Six. of Kentucky was doing experiments, and they found like four to five feet. Oh wow! At okay. an angle, because like you say, they can jump high, they can jump wide, but they, but they can't, can't do, do both. both. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're we're having bear problems in the neighborhood. Oh wow! A lot. That, yeah, <laughs> I don't know that there's much you can do against a bear. It's called twelve gauge with slugs. Oh boy! Yep, yep. <laughs> That's about it. All right, thank you. All right, Roberta, you too. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. All right, bye bye. All right, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um, So while people are ruminating on the old uh, name a plant that uh, describes your father, can you did anything occur to your head as far as describing my father? No, not not immediately. I I have words in my head, but I don't have plants associated with them. How about forget me not? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) good point. (laughs) Or something that changed. He's a very different person now than he was when I was growing Mm -hmm. up. So yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's good. Yeah, the old Brunfelsia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. There. We won't give away any more answers. Okay. All right. So. Pruning tomato plants. What the hell is that all about? Why would people prune tomato plants? Well, I uh, did my bachelor's degree at Rutgers, which is at the State University of New Jersey. And they're a big, actually, a big tomato and eggplant uh, school. They uh, do a lot of experimentation on those plants. Um, and we were taught that the best way to grow a tomato is to prune it to two uh, primary stems and stake it straight up. Uh, and the re- so it was it has to do with the climate where mm-hmm. where in New Jersey, much shorter growing season. We didn't get anything in the ground till very end of May, and then it would get cold again in September. Um, and the sun is not as strong as it is in California. So by pruning the plant to those two primary stems that come from near the ground, we uh, and it's very humid. We exposed the, the fruit and the leaves to more air, and so reduced the fungal uh, disease potential. We uh, exposed the fruit to more sun, uh, so we got better ripening. Um, and the word is, and I was taught, that it, it yielded a quicker uh, harvest, but there's been a debate on the, or, or the word on the, Professor's garden professor's website is that that's not been proven. Right. That that's just anecdotal. But that's the reason. Those are the three reasons that we were given. So then I moved from New Jersey to Tucson, Arizona, and grew tomatoes, which were perennial there. They lived over the winter, um, and did them the New Jersey way, 
and I had fried tomatoes on the vine. I would think sunburn would be a big issue when it you was. start pruning away foliage. And they just dried right up. Yeah. Yes. So that, especially uh, in Arizona, but it's also true here, sunburn would be a problem you would be causing by doing too much pruning. Right. And that uh, uh, on the other show, radio show, I was mentioning that I had a, a tomato that was advertised as being heat tolerant. Right. And it's incredibly bushy. It has lots of leaves in the same bed as my other tomatoes which are not as bushy so it's not a fertilizer or the watering uh, or the soil or anything like that i think it's just the genetics of the plant and one of the sometimes you'll see a tomato we had a tomato called shady lady yeah um and it's uh not that the tomato can be grown in the shade it's that the plant itself shades the tomato fruit right are they potato leaf plants boy i don't remember my the one I have at home is not. Okay. I don't remember what Shady Lady had. Yeah, I don't either. But yeah, a lot of people think Shady Lady was meant to be grown in the shade. When in reality, it's not. no, it's just the, describing how the plant grows. Right. And uh, now the Cornell University. Speaking of dueling professors here, Cor- uh, Dr. Philip Minges at Cornell University. He says. Tomato yields per plant may be lowered by pruning. Removing the leaves or shoots does not conserve food for the crop. It tends to reduce the total food supply. Use training methods that require little pruning. And that sort of uh, harkens over to what the University of California says, that if you grow your tomatoes using stakes for support, you may need to do some overall pruning. Stake tomato plants usually require pruning to a few main stems. At the junction of each leaf and the first main stem, a new shoot will develop. Choose one to three of these shoots, normally at the first and second leaf stem junction for the additional main stems. And then once a week, pinch off most of the other shoots, the suckers, with your fingers to keep the plants from becoming too large for support. However, then they say that you could bypass all of this by, instead of staking them, just grow them in cages Mm -hmm. where little pruning is required. Right. And typically, I don't prune tomatoes here. Uh, I I grow them in cages and let them do their thing. If they start to get too big, grow outside the cages too much, then I'll prune them. Um, And this one that I have, this heat-tolerant one, I was afraid would not fruit and would get just too moist and potentially fungus-filled in the center. So I have gone in and taken out the axillary shoot, which is what they were talking about removing in Mm -hmm. that what you read. Tomato armpit hairs. Yeah, yeah. Except they grow up instead yeah. of down. Yeah. yeah, so where the leaf meets the stem, you'll get a shoot taking those out just to open it up for air movement and um, pollinator potential movement. Right. So basically, only if you want fewer tomatoes do you need to prune. <laughs> yes, and you'll, see, you'll read things, and they'll seem to be logical, and they'll say that it pr- preserves, and that what you read discussed this as well, that it... Um, preserves the sugar for the fruit. Well, that's a bunch of BS because the leaves make the sugar. You remove the leaves, you're going to make less sugar. Yeah. So, Not to mention exposing the fruit to more sun, right. which can cause sunburn. sunburn. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, uh, Albert's getting antsy in there, so either we have to take a break or he has to go to the bathroom. I'm not <laughs> sure which. So we'll take that break. And when we come back, we'll get to your garden grappler answers. Still a couple of open lines at 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Name a plant that describes your father. Again, it can be a variety of a plant as well. Varieties have some very 
colorful names. I'm sure your father was a very colorful character. And we want to hear about it. As we continue with the Garden Grappler, it's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing! Listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred, Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, Debbie, you ready? Yeah. All I'm ready. right, we've got people lined up. People who say they can name a plant that describes their father. Who are we going to start with here? Let's talk, start with Chris down in Modesto. Chris, go ahead, give us a plant and a, why it reminds you of your father. Hi, Chris. Hey, good morning. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Out here working in the garden. Okay, so Manzanita from my dad. Manzanita? Vietnam, Manzanita, Vietnam vet. Okay. From Oklahoma, before electricity. So we're <laughs> camping, and he, we're, they like to make their beans over the campfire because something about the smoke makes them taste better. Okay. We're walking along, and he finds this big piece of Manzanita. And by big, I mean two and a half, three inches around. So if anybody's ever played Manzanita, you know, it's a hard wood. It is like a hard wood. But my dad's Vietnam vet, huge dude. He takes this, this stick, probably six feet long, too big to carry on the trail. He's going to break it up, bring it back. Oh make my. Be- like he said, he's going to make the best damn beans ever. <laughs> he takes this stick, muscles up, and he whacks this giant piece of granite with it. And the pain on his eyes is still <gasps> visible to everybody who witnessed it because he might as well have taken a steel rod and hit that rock, and the vibration shot up his hands. He oh. lets go of that rock, and his hands are still open. He's all, ah, oh. <laughs> not the only time I ever heard him say "ow" in my life. Oh wow! <laughs> so Manzanita was and his he, match <laughs> for sure, absolutely. Because he's a he's a hard man, a good good fair man, uh, hard man, always there. And to me, that's Manzanita. It's always going to be there. Great story. Great story. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Chris, for that. And no what are we Happy sending everybody? Happy Father's Day to you too, Chris. All five callers will get uh, the how to garden, how to have a food garden using less water, uh, as a publication Perfect. of the Sonoma County Master Gardeners, and also tips on looking for the Asian citrus psyllid and citrus greening disease that we all have to be more aware uh, of to help uh, yeah. salvage our citrus industry here. Uh, good, good answer, Chris. Love the story. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Bye bye. All right, who's next here? Let's talk with Miles in Sacramento. Hi, Miles. Hi, um, mine is a beanstalk because my dad is tall. All right, oh, he's tall. Is he tall and thin? Um, he is a six five. Six five, and is he a skinny guy? Um, he's pretty skinny. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so that'd be like a beanstalk. All right, Miles, good. I like that. We'll be sending you the how to garden. Uh, have a, how to have a food garden with less water and also uh, looking for the Asian citrus psyllid. Thanks, Miles. Welcome. You're welcome. Bye. All right. All right. There you go. Um, Linda in Turlock, go ahead. Uh, describe your father with a plant. Sweet William. Sweet William. Uh-huh. Because yeah. I, I imagine his name was Bill. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Bill, and that was the nickname I would call him. Oh, that's <laughs> sweet. That's nice. All right, well, I'll be sending you all that stuff I said I'd send everybody else. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you, Linda. Appreciate it. All right, uh, and caller number four, back to Garden Valley, and Roberta. Hi, Roberta. Oh, hello again. You said you had a couple openings. I did, so. yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks okay. for calling. Uh, 
my dad grew up in the high mountains, and I'm going to call him an Aspen. Mm-hmm. An Aspen, all right, because he what what part of the high mountains was he from? Uh Markleyville, Gardnerville, Walker Valley. Yeah, Walker Valley, Hope Valley. Hope Valley, one of the prettiest areas along Highway 88 where it meets uh, Highway 89 for the aspens when they change color in the fall. It's just absolutely gorgeous there. Yeah, my my family is from the high Sierras from the Gold Rush. Wow, okay. One of the few residents of Alpine County. Yes, uh, I haven't been up there recently because when my husband was um alive he couldn't he couldn't stand the high um Altitude. elevation air mm-hmm. but but now that i'm a widow i'm gonna go visit because i have all kinds of pictures going back to the 1800s oh oh yeah go for it wow yeah. all right hey roberta good story thank you you're welcome all right bye-bye and bye-bye. that that takes us to caller number five it is nico in rockland hi nico Hi. Hey, tell you what, Nico, if you can come up with a description of your father using a plant name that isn't a manzanita, a beanstalk, sweet william, or aspen, I have for you, besides everything I'd, I told uh, I'd send everybody else, I have for you four tickets to the Colfax Garden Club's 2018 Garden and Art Tour, which is next Saturday, June 23rd, and you're in Rockland. That's not that far from Colfax. So. No. All right, so go ahead. Give us a good answer. Okay, so... um. Uh, a rose bush reminds me of a uh, of my dad because uh, he's sharp sometimes, but uh, <laughs> he, he's also sweet. Oh, very good. And does he smell good? Uh, not really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those roses that doesn't have yes. a sweet smell. Yes, all right, yeah. but but he's kind of a thorny character. But it's got prickles. Oh, a yeah. prickly character. Yeah, yes. very uh-huh. nice. All right, sort of. All right. Nico. And it's got nice, nice, pretty flowers, too. So yes. it's both sides. There you go. Nico, good answer. So I'll be sending you those tickets to the Colfax Garden Club's 2018 Garden and Art Tour next Saturday in Colfax. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Nico. Good to hear from you. Well, all right. Uh, so there we go. Now, is there anything that we have not covered in, in the time you've been here today that we said we were going to cover? No. We should cover. Oh, the one thing I'm thinking of, you said uh, uh, the handout about uh, growing with less water. Oh, yeah. You gave me a book about that, and I've read a, a, a good portion of it, and it um, about growing, eating less water. Well, that, yeah, eating less water. That was more of a political book, really, about... Well, she goes into, right, she visits different... Uh, growers and talks about how they use water and what how much water it takes to produce certain things Um, but the number one thing that keeps coming up in that book and it's something i've learned as well is the way to uh, protect your garden from drought the number one way is to add organic matter yes and you have to do it over and over and over again it's not that hard really if you think about cover crops and mulch right cover crops and mulch keep the keep those constantly going and that will Im, uh, improve the water holding uh, capacity yeah. of your soil so when it when the water comes it doesn't run off it's absorbed and the plants can use it uh the uc experts i talk with who are involved in in no-till cover crop conservation f- with the nrcs uh, down at the kearney ag center uh, they've done actual measurements and tests on those farms that have maintained uh cover crops and soil conservation, no-till, and, of course, mulch is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. In fact, cover crops are a mulch. And they've found a 25% increase in, in water conservation mm-hmm. that the soil maintains using cover crops and no-till. I actually 
thought it might be a bigger number than 25%. But she, uh, we've gotten away from fallowing a field, mm-hmm. which means not growing anything in it for a season. That allows it to grow a cover crop or break down a cover crop. Um, uh, and that, that would be a, a beneficial thing for us to get back into for uh, maintaining our water. And water's getting to be a bigger and bigger problem all over the world. You can do a year-round cover crop, but most gardeners here, uh, you can just instead, when you're done with your summer crops, when you go to take out your tomatoes and squash and mm-hmm. all that, say around October or so, uh, put some seeds down of clover, vetch, fava beans, Mm-hmm. Um, all sorts of nitrogen-fixing crops that you could put there. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add to that? Grasses will add a lot yeah. of uh, rye. Uh, yes, annual. You want annuals yeah. for your cover crops, unless you <laughs> are really skilled. Uh, annual, so annual ryegrass that adds a lot. They have the most dense root system. Mm-hmm. Uh, grasses in general. And so they will have um, add the most uh, organic matter to your soil. All right, Debbie Flower, always a pleasure. It was great to be here, and that was a fun uh, garden grapple. Yeah, it was. So come back sometime. Would All you? right, we'll do. All right, All right, as your schedule allows. Yes, thank you. All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we're talking with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum, finding out what's in bloom, part two, coming up oh, cool. as we continue with the K- uh, Where Am I? Get Growing on Talk 650 <laughs> KSTE. This is With Farmer Fred, Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Every month we like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum, finding out what's in bloom. You know, we try to get through most of the plants talking with Warren over on the KFBK Garden Show, but there's more plants putting on a show than there is time. So we drag Warren over here to KSTE to finish off his list of what's in bloom each month at the UC Davis Arboretum. And when we last left you, Warren, you were about to talk about a plant that is the, well, it used to be the crown jewel of Highway 99, the oleander. Oleander, Nerium oleander, one of the most dependable plants for gardens. And it's in full bloom right now. It's probably the most spectacular thing blooming in in our area. Yeah, it's poisonous, but don't eat it. And don't (laughs) burn it. it. Yeah. Yeah, don't burn it. Don't feed it to your horses. But it has a lovely fragrance, and it uh, produces great abundance of, of flowers, and it's a great plant for screening as well. And not all of them are big. There's a red one, pink one, and salmon, one, which get about about belt high. Um, there are several prickly pears in bloom. One of my favorites, and it's a new one to me, it's called Opuntia kankanapa, and the cultivar Elysiana is thornless. It's uh, ours is about oh it's about head height now, uh, no thorns no no blockages, um, uh, sort of a light sage green uh, color, uh, bright pure yellow flowers and they, these are followed later by lavender colored fruit, so it's a good it's and it doesn't sprawl so you can have it in a garden if if you like the looks of it I really do. Uh, Parkinsonia culiata is the so-called Jerusalem thorn. It's native to the Americas, widespread, sort of weedy in Southern California, and it has the most pain, exquisitely painful thorns uh, just about any plant I know. But you can't deny that it's beautiful, and right now it's just a cloud of yellow flowers. 
I, what do you, uh, Warren, what do you mean by exquisitely painful? It just hurts. Okay. <laughs> it hurts going in, it hurts coming out. Oh. And usually it causes a little infection where it pokes into you. Just awful. It's better to have it, uh, get your neighbor to plant one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pavonia missionarum is uh, a, a hibiscus relative from South America with uh, scarlet flowers. It's an herbaceous plant. Uh, it's about, nah, let's see, ours have gotten about a foot and a half high and really beautiful, like miniature hibiscuses all over it. Plumbago is in full bloom now, uh, the white form in our gazebo garden, which is our white flower garden, but it comes in pale blue, the common form, and also a darker blue. Not really dark blue, but darker than usual. Perovskia is in bloom now. This is the so-called Russian sage or uh, Persian sage. It uh, doesn't smell very good, but it's a cloud of lavender flowers. Very popular in, let's say, in New Mexico, where it uh, tolerates the cold winters, but it's a good plant for here. It moves around in the garden a little bit. When it starts looking shaggy, cut it way back, and it'll uh, renew itself nicely. Rigosum spinescens variety deltoides is a trumpet vine relative from South Africa, where they call it wild pomegranate, partly because of the way the plant grows, I think. It has yellow, pure yellow flowers, and ours is in full bloom right now. Roses, yeah, they're doing well now. And we're so lucky we don't have summer rain, so our roses are always healthy. Romnia, the fried egg bush, is in full bloom still, and it's, well, it's California's biggest flower, and it's really beautiful. Roselia, the Roselia uh, equisetifolium is, is the, uh, equisetiformis rather, is the common one, but there's a new one that's even better, lower, and brighter called Roselia St. Elmo's Fire. If you have any room at all in full sun, that's something you want, especially if you like scarlet. Salvia canariensis is in bloom now, a canarian a shrub with uh, maroon and pink flowers. Salvia clevelandii, the form Winifred Gilman, is maybe maybe even more spectacular than the than the oleander because it's a combination of, of violet and blue and sage green, and the fragrance of the leaves fills the garden. Salvia darcii, a red-flowered uh, salvia from the mountains of Mexico. Saponaria hybrid Lampergii uh, Max Frey is a very dependable perennial. Pink flowers, you gotta like pink. <laughs> and it kind of blooms, it's, it blooms itself out uh, in the spring, but it always survives. Just uh, clear out once a year a little bit of cleanup and, and away you go. Stipa gigantea is my, one of my favorite plants. It's a tall grass that brings, always brings light and movement into the garden. Right now, it is in the seed-producing form, so it's a brilliant a straw cloud. It's just beautiful, <laughs> hard to describe. Tipuana tipu, the tipu tree, uh, we call it tipa in Peru, South American tree. It looks like a black locust, but it has yellow flowers. And Vitex agnus castus. This is the last of today's list, but this is one of the toughest, easiest trees to grow. It does seed around a little bit. It looks kind of like the cross between marijuana and a butterfly bush, I guess, <laughs> with uh, leaves that have the marijuana leaf look, if you know what that looks like. And it produces a lot of spires of violet uh, 
blue flowers this time of year. So <clears throat> I recommend that one. If you have beehives, it's a good honey plant as well. There you go. Lots of great plants that are putting on a show right now. See them for yourself when you visit the UC Davis Arboretum. It's open seven days a week on the UC Davis campus. And if you want more information, get an idea of all the various gardens are there and sort of plan your trip out, you can do so when you visit the website arboretum.ucdavis.edu and there you'll also find information about upcoming plant sales as well. Warren Roberts, I hope you have a very pleasant summer. I look forward even though it may be summer vacation at UC Davis. I think we'll talk again next month. Yes, we'll talk again next uh, next month with CJ. Yes, we will. And uh, I look forward to that as always. Warren, a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Fred. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. The Elk Group. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Well, you know that song that's playing right now, Windy and Warm by Doc Watson, kind of describing the weather. It was windy last night. And a bit breezy today with south winds to 9. And it's going to get warmer as the week progresses. Sunny skies, 80 degrees, the expected high today. That's very mild for this time of year. Your tomatoes will love it. Uh, Overnight low, not that chilly and not that hot either. 57 degrees, 87 for a high on Monday, 95. You see the pattern here, 95 on Tuesday, 94 on Wednesday, 97 on Thursday, the forecast high by the National Weather Service. And then Friday, 101, and then 100 next Saturday. Sorry about your June wedding next Saturday. All right, it'll be a little warm. Uh, What else is going on? The nighttime lows, uh, as I said, are going to be fairly mild with uh, high lows between, uh, looks like, 57 and uh, 61, 62 degrees. So that's you know, it could be worse. You could be living in Iowa where the overnight low is 75 with a thunderstorm. And the humidity is 90%. And the daytime highs are 90 degrees. We won't go there. We'll stay right here. All right, garden events. What's happening? Today, the Eldorado County Fair winds up. And the Eldorado County Master Gardeners and I believe the Master Food Preservers will have a booth there. You can join them for tasting and demonstrations at various times during the fair. And so look for them at the El Dorado County Fair today in Placerville at 100 Placerville Drive. Coming up Wednesday at uh, the uh, Sacramento Cooperative Extension Building at 4145 Branch Center Road. That's near the corner of Bradshaw and Kiefer. The uh, Master Food Preservers of Sacramento County are going to be doing some summer fruit preservations. Peaches, plums, apricots, cherries, and more. The Master Food Preserver volunteers will show you how to preserve these delicious stone fruits in fun and creative ways. From basic canned fruit to chutneys and sauces, fruit-flavored sauces. And you'll learn practical tips such as how to remove pits without destroying the fruit, how to grill fruits that are high in sugar, and how to make candied fruit. And there will be lots of recipes, too. So, again, that will be at the Cooperative Extension Office, Master Food Preservers of Sacramento County, Wednesday evening, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. There is a $5 fee at the door. On Thursday, the Master Gardeners will be answering your gardening questions at the Farmer's Market 
on Florin Road from 8 a.m. to noon. I believe 5901 Florin Road is uh, somewhere near where Sears is was. And that'll be, uh, again, Thursday, 8 a.m. to noon. So look for the Master Gardeners there to answer your gardening questions. Coming up next Saturday, a few events going on. There's a pressure canning workshop. It's, this is a big wingding because uh, class size is limited to 20. It's a hands-on workshop on learning how to use a pressure canner. It's put on by the Sacramento County Master Food Preservers. You can sign up for this hands-on workshop to learn how a pressure canner works and the multiple safety features on modern canners. This might not be a bad $50 spent before you buy a pressure canner to basically give you a good idea of what to look for when you go shopping for one. So you can learn all about pressure canning. Uh, You'll learn why, how, and which foods you can safely process Uh, Under the guidance of Master Food Preserver volunteers, you'll be canning three different products and learning how to use both a dial and a weighted gauge on a pressure canner. And then you can take it home, take a jar of each product to enjoy at home. There is a $50 fee, but you're going to learn a lot, especially if you want to get into pressure canning. And class size is limited to 20. And so you need to pre-register. And you can do that by uh, visiting the Sacramento County Master Food Preserver website, which in order for me to avoid saying a tongue-twisting set of letters, I will just say, do an Internet search for Sacramento County Master Food Preservers, and I'm sure that information will pop up. Or you can call them at 916-875-6913 to register for that event next Saturday. It goes from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Cooperative Extension Office there at 4145 Branch Center Road. Meanwhile, over in Napa County, the Master Gardeners there invite you to join them for a public gardening workshop going called Growing Culinary Herbs and Cocktail Garnishes. What's that, olives? What? Uh, this workshop will be held on Saturday from 9.30 to 11.30 at Central Valley Hardware at 1100 Vintage Avenue in St. Helena. You'll learn about planting herbs, how to grow herbs, uh, what else? Oh, even some flowers, too, nasturtiums, roses, pansies, borage, and calendula. And uh, there will be demonstrations and hands-on activities. And this, again, will be at the Central Valley Hardware Store in St. Helena at 1100 Vintage Avenue. I believe there is a $5 fee next Saturday, 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. Calaveras County Master Gardeners will be offering a plant sale and a workshop at their demonstration garden at 891 Mountain Ranch Road next Saturday. The plant sale is 10 a.m. to noon. The garden is open from 10 a.m. to 1. The demonstration garden is located at the County Government Center at 891 Mountain Ranch Road in San Andreas. They're going to be talking about fertilizers and pesticides, and you can find answers to your home gardening questions, including plant and pest problems. Explore ways that you can identify, attract, and help birds in your garden and landscape. The Master Gardeners of Amador County have this free public education class, which will include tips and resources for identifying local birds, including hawks and other raptors, as well as specific landscaping strategies, appropriate plant choices, to encourage birds to visit your garden. Birds are good guys. Yeah, they might steal the occasional blueberry, but you can, let's face it, you can net that plant. Materials and methods for protecting your home garden, fruits, and vegetables from these hungry visitors will also be presented. See, they cover everything there. 
And the classes will be held at the Amador County GSA building at 12200 Airport Road in Jackson from 9 a.m. until noon. You may have uh, heard uh, that I gave away some tickets. I did earlier during the Garden Grappler to the Colfax Garden Club's 2018 Garden and Art Tour. It's next Saturday, 9.30 to 3.30. There will be six gardens to visit uh, in the Colfax area next Saturday. And tickets are available for this event. Tickets are $20. You can find tickets at uh, the Colfax Farm and Country Store, the LaRange Salon, Maine Tamers, Hanson Brothers, and Cafe Luna. In Auburn, you can find tickets at Isley's Nursery and Avant Garden. And in Grass Valley, at Weiss Brothers Nursery, as well as A to Z Hardware. And they can be purchased the day before and the day of the tour at the Flower Show which is, will be held on uh, Saturday at 99 Rail Street in at the Colfax Heritage Museum. So uh, check that out there, the uh, Colfax Garden Club 2018 Garden and Art Tour. And uh, if you want more information, I believe you can email them at, um, I don't know, did I write it down? No, I didn't write it down. Oh, well. Have fun. Go go to go to the uh, flower mart there, the uh, in Folsom, the flower show. Okay. All right. I was doing so well, and then boom! Again, future radio broadcasters always pre-read before you talk. You'd think I would have learned this after ninety-five years of doing this. All right, Stephen Vacaville, save me from myself. All right, I'll try and do that, Fred. Um, okay. I've got two aristocrat pears that were planted oh, seven or eight years ago side by side. They're about 30 feet tall. Um, one of them is doing perfectly. Last uh, fall, uh, one of them lost its leaves about two weeks before the other one, and then this year it flowered two weeks before the other one. And it does not have fire blight, but right now it's maybe got 20 leaves on the whole tree. Oh, just one of the two, and the two are right next to each other. Right next to each other, about 10 feet apart, 12 feet apart. Wow. And they're both aristocrat pairs. Both aristocrat pairs. And as far as you can tell, have you measured the the moisture in the soil around each one? I'm thinking there may be an issue with drainage, that there is something going on with the one tree that isn't going on with the other that has to do with water and drainage. The other thought I'm having is that maybe when they were planted, one of them became root-bound and the roots are just encircling the root ball and the other is spreading out naturally. Because when you get that uh, situation where leaves are falling off the tree, are the leaves falling as green leaves or or are they turning well, color? No, th- th- last year, it looked like in the fall, it looked like an, it was like a normal fall deal. You know, the re- leaves turned red and then they fell off and then the other one followed a couple weeks later. But this year, it just didn't leaf out as much and then the leaves are just kind of drying up as the wind blows and that kind of thing and falling off. And, you know, we, we have our groundwater here is like at 10 feet, 12 feet. And they're in a spot that's kind of raised. So even during all the rain we got last year, um, you know, there was no standing water or anything around them. That was the only thing I was thinking. Maybe it got too much water, except they're right next to each other. It's been growing really good for eight years. Like, you know, and I know it's not root bound because there's a root about 
six feet away from it that's going across my brick walkway. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and don't forget all the brittle branches that are in there too. It's uh, yeah. in my experience with aristocrat pears, man oh man, they need regular maintenance as far as thinning out all those uh, what are called codominant leaders and narrow branch angles in order that it doesn't break off in the wind. Because uh, you've probably seen the branches breaking off in the wind. Well, I I've kept up on it pretty well, and it's pretty columnar. And I just wondered if if uh, if there were cut it back down would that encourage it to regrow or should i give up on it or what well like i say the 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 water management issue is what i would be most concerned about is that uh, if that water table is only 10 feet below the soil there may be a shallower area where it those roots are basically sitting in water on that one plant and that can be a big problem by overwatering. It's not so much overwatering as it is slow drainage. So, again, you'd need to check the soil moisture. I guess the easiest way to dig, do that would be to dig down about a foot around each tree, maybe four holes around each tree, and get an idea of what the soil moisture is at uh, that level down a foot or so. And I just have well, a. Let me share, yeah, let me share one other thing with you. When, in, uh... In the Lowe's shopping center in Vacaville, they've got 20 or 30 of these. Mm-hmm. And about half of them showed the same signs as this one did, but almost all of them finally came back. Uh, that Again, that sounds like a watering problem that might yeah. have been fixed. It might have been, it might have been you know, too much water from the year before. But yeah. if I prune it back some, will that help encourage new growth then? Not necessarily. Not okay. necessarily, but again... I would bring out an arborist to have him take a look at it and okay, and we'll do do. do that soil moisture test, too, just to see. Okay? okay we got thanks, we, me and Fred. Enjoy the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Steve. And time for me to get on out of here, making room for the news, and then the KSTE Farm Hours coming up. There is something bugging the sunflowers of Yolo, Solano County. What is it? We will find out coming up next on the KSTE Farm Hour. And also the uh, problems of the dairy farmers. That's next here on KSTE. Armstrong and Getty.